today we relight the first three candles of the Advent wreath. The first candle we will relight today is the candle of hope. Maybe. The hope candle. The second candle that we are relighting today is the candle of peace. And then the third candle is the candle of joy. That's the pink one. And then today, guys, we light the fourth candle of Advent, and this is the candle of love. Jesus demonstrated self-giving love in his ministry as the good shepherd. Advent is a time for kindness, thinking of others, and sharing with others. It is a time to love as God loved us, by giving us his most precious gift. As God is love, let us be love also. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Um, hey, good morning. My name is Drew Hensley. I'm the pastor of discipleship, and it really is a joy to be with you and to be looking at love today. As we get closer to Christmas Eve, we sort of bring this series that we've been in, um, A Weary World Rejoices to Fruition. And I was thinking about um, Silas's, my son, he had a Christmas concert um, last week. And I knew when it was, I knew the time, I knew when I needed to leave, I knew when I needed to be there. Yep, that's him. Um, not doing the motions, that's okay. Uh, may or may not have uh, sang the songs, but uh, he was there, he was present, it counts. Um, I knew when this was, and I knew when I needed to leave and all this, but but emails and phone calls and all of that. And uh, I got a text from Laura and she's like, you're on your way. And I was like, oh my goodness, I saw the time. I, and I rushed over there and I, I did come in late, but I was so scared I was going to miss this. Um, why do I share this? Because as we talk about love today, I think if we aren't careful, we can absolutely miss it. Meaning what this really is. Um, we can miss, and if we miss this, we miss really the very essence of Advent. Advent, this arrival that we started looking at that begins in the dark, as people expecting this Savior, looking forward to this Savior, it's love that makes the joy, peace, and hope that we've looked at possible. But the question is really, what kind of love? It's an important question. Because the very idea of love has become, I think, far too normal for us. Inside the church, outside of the church, in culture. What kind of love? I was watching football last night and on the back of some helmets that said, choose love. And, and I thought about, okay, what does that mean? What, what are the people who see that? What do they think that means? In culture, love sometimes gets distorted. It gets abandoned. It gets manipulated. Now, just to bring this down to us today, to each one of you, to myself, some of us, maybe we have a really hard time feeling loved. Maybe we were told something in our past that really took a hard hit on our identity. 
Maybe we experienced something and it's so it's very difficult for us to receive love or to, or to feel loved. Or maybe we have some strained relationships. Maybe something's happened in your life that maybe even has you questioning God's love toward you. Maybe you're someone who struggles to show love. It's just hard. It's challenging. It's difficult. Maybe you came in today carrying pain. Maybe you came in today carrying questions, uh, doubts. Maybe you simply feel tired and you're, you're glad you even made it today. Or for some, maybe you came in today full of joy, and that's fantastic. But no matter where you are or what you've brought in, good or bad or anything in between, here's my hope as we walk through what is the most popular verse in the entire Bible. One, don't dismiss it. Don't say John 3.16. Come on, why are we even talking about this? I know this verse, right? But here's my hope. My hope is that as we walk through this verse today, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are today, I hope that you'd be transported. See, as you get older, things can become less impressive. We know this. They can become less awe-inspiring. They can even become dull. And we need to be transported back to this place of childlike wonder. The face that you see on your kids on Christmas morning, the face that I see in my son on Christmas morning, this wonder, this awe, and this is so important. This is my hope for each of us because in essence, this is the effect when we sit with and truly soak up the unmatched love of God. So let me pray for us and we're going to walk through these two verses together. God, thank you for your love for us. Jesus, thank you for these words that you spoke I pray that you'd speak to us today wherever you find us. Wherever you find us. I pray that you'd speak to us and I pray that you would redefine this term that is used so often and we can get so familiar with. Would you open up our eyes and hearts again to exactly what this type of love is and what it means for us and those around us Jesus, for your good, for our, for our good, for your glory, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. You guys good? We ready? All right. That was about 3% better than the 9 a.m., so I'm super confident. Um, no, let's do this. This is going to be good. Let's start off. John 3.16, for God. This is really where it starts in Genesis 1, in creation, and it's not only where it starts in the beginning of creation, but it's where it starts in the beginning of the relationship that God has with you and me, with humanity. That what God created was ultimately good. And then in Genesis 3, we see brokenness break through this goodness. We see rebellion tear the perfect cloth of this intertwined relationship. And it will take nothing short of a miracle to put it back together. It will take the intercession of the creator, of the artist, of the orchestrator of the universe. We have to start here, and what I would encourage us to do is to not miss the greatness, the bigness, the ultimate authoritative nature of who we're talking about here. Not a God among many, the God. Here's what God does He makes a move. That's why the word for is so important. For God. God is going to do something. He steps forward. 
And so every word that comes after this is because of what God chose to do and see to fruition for God. How does God move, though? How does he move? I mean, imagine that what you've created turns against you. Wanting to be equal with you. Becoming increasingly ungrateful and inconsistent back and forth in the relationship. How would you respond? How, how have you responded when someone wrongs you, when someone turns on you? God could have absolutely and would have been within his rights to say, that's it. Forget it. Too much of a hassle, too much waywardness, too much brokenness. You don't appreciate what I've done. You don't appreciate how I've made you. There's too much pride. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from this. And yet, here's what we see. The unequivocal response of the creator toward his created. For God so loved. Loving people who love you back is easier. I say easier because it's not always easy. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's getting close to Christmas time. Isn't it wild? The closer we get to Christmas, the more intense things can get, right? With the people uh, that you love and love you back. But your enemies, that's a completely different thing. You could look at this verse and see, because God loved you so much. Think of that. Because God loved you so much, he didn't want to be without you. And so he moved forward, but not in anger, not in hate, not with understandable justice toward you, but with love. A word that's been redefined to mean a lot of things, but that God defined perfectly because ultimately what we see in scripture is that God is love. This isn't puppy love. This isn't contractual love. Well, if you keep up your end of the bargain, I'll keep up my end of the bargain. This isn't romantic love. This isn't I love you, bro, kind of love, right? It's dramatically different. It stands out like a single star in a pitch black night. It's a love that comes with clear direction and purpose. Directed toward who? For God so loved the world. As soon as that bite of fruit is taken in the garden, the relationship between God and humanity completely shifts. It turns from friend to enemy. This is not the first mention of the world. In fact, when we read this right here, it actually echoes back to John 1, 11. Here's what it says, that he came to his own, Jesus, and his own did not receive him. We wanted nothing to do with him. We were content to go our own way, to do our own thing, to think that our way was better. But God moved in love while we were enemies. And this is so important that we understand this. God didn't wait for the world to clean up her act. He didn't wait for the world to prove its worth, to present herself shiny and spotless, to earn favor. And here's what we need to say here. I know the term the world, it's like the world, that's huge. Like that's very like, okay, the world, right? It can seem less personal, less relational, but no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what you brought in with you or anyone has said about you, how, how somebody's treated you or you've treated yourself, you are a part of the world God loves. Every single human created, you are a part of this world. God doesn't love a perfect version of you. He loves you as you are, as he finds you, 
as your life veers off the road into the ditch and he finds you there, he loves you there with all of your imperfections, with all of your insecurities, and here's how he proves his love in a way that completely defines the very meaning of love. He gave. That he gave. This love, it sees potential when others may only see problems. It doesn't step outside of the mess. It actually moves into the mess and every single bit of it. All of the mess of your life. All of the mess that you see in our world. God doesn't say, well, I'm going to move into the good parts, right? I'm going to move into the good neighborhood of your life. He's like, no, I'm going to move to the slums. I'm going to come and embed myself in your life, in the mess, all of it, into this broken, weary world. That's what this type of love does. In a world where words become more and more meaningless, this kind of love actually means something. Showing this kind of love, it may cost you your reputation, it may cost you your resources, it, may, it will absolutely cost you your time, it may cost you your comfort, may shift your plans. We saw that last week as Paul preached on Mary, this 15 or 16-year-old who all of a sudden, she's going to be the mother of Jesus. Guess what that changed? Everything. Her entire life. This love isn't convenient. Which is why I think, and by we I mean I, <laughs> which is why I think we can struggle to really grasp this and also show it or reflect it back because it isn't convenient. And guess what we love? Convenience. I do. I love convenience. <laughs> We're told in culture we should love convenience, that everything should be convenient for us, right? Um, I don't know how many of you use uh, mobile food apps. I do. Um, started using them years ago, and I've been using them ever since. Uh, talking about Uber Eats, talking about DoorDash, all that good stuff. I was curious this week how much money we as a country spend on mobile food delivery, so I looked it up. And, oh, there it is. $22.4 billion we spent this last year on mobile food delivery. What does that show us? We like convenience. But this love, it's so inconvenient. It's this type of love, agape, this incredible word that really means sacrifice. The Bible talks about brotherly love. It talks about romantic love. But this type of love is so different. It's a love that's always shown by what it does, that it moves. And this kind of love will cost you because it's not cheap. Here's what it cost God. That he gave his only son. We can read this verse so much that it can start to lose its weight. God gives what is absolutely most valuable to him. His only son. This is hard for me to even start to wrap my mind around because immediately when I read this and when I read it this week over and over, I just thought of my kid. And if you're a parent, you can think of your kid. Imagine that. Not only giving your son, but knowing what you're giving your son to. Imagine giving your child to know that they're going to be ridiculed, rejected, that the world you're giving them to is going to turn their back on them that the world you're giving them to is ultimately going to lead them to a brutal death. The price to save us was so high that nothing else and no one else would do. The only perfect, 
holy offering. It's not your works. It's not what you can muster up. It's Jesus. There's this common idea that the opposite of love is what? Hate, right? Actually, the opposite of love is selfishness. The opposite of love is selfishness because at the very heartbeat of this kind of love is sacrifice. A sacrifice from cradle to grave to resurrection that would prove itself worthy so that these next words would be such good news for you and me, would be such good news for a weary world, groaning, waiting, needing this love. That whoever believes in him, I love this, not whoever works hard enough, not whoever lives in the right neighborhood, not whoever comes from the right family, goes to the right schools, has the right degree, whoever believes, whoever trusts, whoever comes to this place of saying, I don't deserve this kind of love, this this show of love, but I'll accept it. Whoever says, I know that I'm full of sin and I'm wayward and I'm prideful and this still creeps up, but I believe you're full of more grace and that that grace is good. That comes to this place of saying, your way is better than mine and although I don't fully understand it and I can't fully comprehend it and I still maybe have some doubts or some questions, the faith that I do have, I'm gonna place in you because I believe you're that good. For these people, They come to this place, this place of humility, this place of need, this place of saying yes to this kind of love. Here's what God offers. I love it. That you should not perish, but have eternal life. Grace, my favorite word, this unmerited favor. Couldn't earn it. And it stretches far beyond this life. That's what we see into eternity. We deserve death. God offers us life. For you personally, maybe this has been the hardest year of your life. Maybe this has been an incredibly hard season of your life. This love offers you a greater hope no matter where you find yourself because this love goes beyond any circumstance and reaches far beyond it. That if you have nothing else in this world and you have Jesus, you have enough. That's how strong this love is. This love is secure, not in you, but in Christ in what he's going to do. Markets will crash, governments will fail, war will break out, people will turn on you. This love will not leave. This love, it's in it for the long haul. And so Jesus goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You've got to understand a little bit of context here. Who's Jesus talking to? He's not talking to himself. Jesus isn't having like a self-convo here. It's important that I say that. It's not like Jesus journal time. I think we may have just trademarked something. Jesus journal time. Somebody run with that. Here's what happens here. This religious leader, this older man, this Pharisee named Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want any of the other religious leaders to see him. And he's curious and he has questions. And he's asking Jesus about life. And Jesus is sharing about this eternal life that he offers. And why this is so important is because Nicodemus, now an older man, he grew up under the law. (laughs) He grew up being told you have to do this and this and this to be approved. And you have to keep these rules and you have to look like this. and and, And you have to make sure other people see you do these things. And so he grew up under this pressure, under this borderline condemnation, thinking that would lead to freedom. And what Jesus does is he comes 
to Nicodemus with such gentleness and kindness and reassures this now older man that there's a better way. If you will, he restores his childlike wonder with a greater and better reality. John Calvin, theologian, loves using this one word when describing God's disposition toward us. Because if you're anything like me, at times you've maybe thought, uh, I think God might be sort of not be stoked about me just needing to come and ask for forgiveness over and over and over. And he sort of might turn into um, a grumpier old man toward me. And so I feel kind of guilty. I'm like, I need, for, I need forgiveness. I need to confess. That's not it. John Calvin uses this word gratuitous. It's awesome. An overabundance, too much, gratuitous mercy, gratuitous goodness, that it's over the top. That God's not scraping the bottom of the barrel to give you his scraps. He gives you his best. Sin had already condemned the world. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, I've come to lift that burden and I've come to do it completely. So let me ask you this question. How much does God love you? And think about you. How, God, how much does God love you? How much does he love this world? Here's how much. I was talking with one of my friends recently and we often share texts back and forth about our kids, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, how our kids are doing. And he shared this story with me about his daughter, his younger daughter in elementary school named Zoe. And Zoe is sort of a natural born leader. Um, and Zoe had a child in her class named Isabella. And Zoe quickly noticed that Isabella really didn't have friends. She's a little different. Other kids in the class would make fun of Isabella. And so Zoe made it a point to try to include Isabella in everything that she did and to also get her friends to come around Isabella to help care for her, to make her feel included. And the class, they had this event. They had these races one day, these uh, like relay races. And it just so happened there were two teams and the anchor of one team is Zoe and the anchor of the other team is Isabella. And as my friend said, he came to pick up Zoe that day from school. The teacher came to him just tearful with joy, said, you won't imagine what happened today. And so she set the scene and she said, it came time for those two anchors. And she said, it was amazing. She said, Zoe ran fast enough to look like she was trying to win, but intentionally lost so that Isabella could win. She said it was phenomenal. The kids in the class got around Isabella and they started chanting her name and it was amazing. And so at dinner that night, my friend asked Zoe, he said, hey, share what happened today. You know, share with your sister and, and Lindsay, his wife. And after she shared it, he said, he said, Zoe, I know you're super competitive. You don't like to lose. So why, why didn't you win? And she said this, and I think this brings home the very essence of God's love. She said, I love her enough to lose. I love her enough to lose. That's really the big idea of this, of God's love. The father loved you enough to lose his son so that he would never lose you. A precious, perfect child, born to die. The greatest cost and with this act, love is perfectly defined. It's not convenient. It's not self-seeking. It's completely sacrificial, 
a willing loss for the sake of you, of you, of you. This is the type of love that people have been waiting for. This is the love of Christmas. This is the love of Christ. This is the love of the gospel. This is love that truly has the power to change everything and to bring the dead back to life. Don't let it become normal. Don't let it become something that's simply tossed around. Soak this love in, that this is how much God loves you. Even if you feel something welling up in you to say, "Eh, I want to push back on that. He still loves you that much. And this is the love that we've been called to take everywhere we go. As those who have been loved, we love. So how do we respond to this? One, I would just encourage us to sit with it, not to get so busy, not to get quick to get to the next thing, but to actually sit with this, to reflect on this, and to let it sink in, to surrender to it. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you're curious about the faith, God invites you to surrender to this love and to rest in it. And then to take it with us. This is the beauty of the church. We don't just keep this in here. We take it out there to a weary world that needs it. This love would start with a birth. It would end with a death that would be reborn as hope, joy, and peace for all who believe. The father loved you enough to lose his son so that he would never lose you. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for these words. May it change us in a dramatic way to take hold of the beauty of your gospel, to take hold of the beauty of the love that you've shown us and you continue to show us, the grace that you continue to show us. May we embrace it. May we take it in. May you reignite that childlike wonder within us. How great we have been loved. How great we're loved by you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for willingly laying down your life as the Father sent you into this world to do something no one else could do. And so we rejoice in that. We thank you for that. We humbly come before you in that with gratitude. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In your name, amen.